Well, we are going to continue this morning uh, in this series uh, that God is God is able. Uh, Gray said, "Here's a text. Here's a title. Make it happen." And uh, so I'm really glad to open up the Book of Ephesians uh, with you this morning. I understand he was uh, spending a little bit of time in the passage right ahead of me. I didn't get the the margin to listen to his message as I had hoped to before today. So. Um, if I repeat anything that he said, it's just because he got it from me first. No. Um, because we're reading out of the same Bible. The, um, th- these passages, God is able, uh, are also connected to many other passages where God uses other types of language. Like when he asks rhetorical questions, you know, is, is the arm of the Lord too short? Right? It, is anything too difficult for me, declares the Lord. Uh, we serve a God who is, who is able. But before we even get to there, I just want to encourage you to pause for one second and just sit on what we just contemplated moments ago, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at sinners, while we were sitting under a place of judgment and condemnation, destined for an eternity, we just sang, without hope and without rest. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The inclination and the fear that you have in your heart and your spirit when you find yourself in the wake and the undertow of sin today causes you to wonder, does God love me? Could God love me? How many, how many days of, of renewed obedience will it take before I can be assured of his love? And friends, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. When we deserve nothing but banishment, the Father welcomed us through his Son, Jesus. And that's why we say there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ, those who've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ. You, this morning, listen to this, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when we come to the text and we we begin to ponder, is God able? You ponder it not from a place of destitute, despair, loneliness in the wilderness, wondering if God could ever come to you. You ponder it this morning, seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is who you are if you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus this morning, Jesus says, all who come unto me will be saved. Jesus says, all who turn, who put their faith in me, I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus says that the Father, in Luke chapter 12, the Father delights to give you the kingdom. Like, there's, there's no question There's no wondering if God has woken up with the disposition today to show you and to show me grace. He delights to do it. It's who he is. When we think about the question of who is able, we oftentimes realize quickly that we need to wonder about willingness beyond ability. I had to deliver a very large table this week. And, uh, and two of my guys, much like many of your workplaces, I'm sure, are out with COVID. And I thought, how am I going to get this table delivered? It's 12 feet long. It's not light. 
and we have a very tiny window to get it off the trailer and into this restaurant. And I'm sitting there thinking, who is able? Because I had lots of options. Lots of people I knew I could pick up the phone and they would say yes, but they're not very strong. That's, that's not really fair. They wouldn't enjoy the challenge of picking up this table. That's a more fair way to say it. And, and their work schedules conflicted. And I thought right away, I thought, you know what, Rick, my friend Rick, he can do it. And right away, the thought that comes immediately after that is, and Rick has said to me, anytime you need anything, even if it's two in the morning and you're stuck at the sawmill and you need help, give me a call. When you are getting ready to go on vacation and you think about who can watch the dog, or if you have children and you're just going to get away with your spouse, who can stay with our children? It's more than just who can, right? It's who wants to. Who's willing? Who desires? You see, in the scriptures, all these passages where we encounter that God is able are not just statements about his stat sheet in the gym, right? These are statements about the fact that God desires to do these things. These are built on the foundation of a God who's already said, I want to do it. I will do it. I am determined to do it. And I'm able to do it. God is able, right? We're not just saying, si se puede, if you can, right? We're saying, puede hacerlo. He can do it because he said he wants to do it. Because he said that he will do it. It's an assurance on the promises that he's already given us for the intentions he's already stated. It'd be more like, it'd be more like if someone comes to you and they somehow know that you have a table to deliver that's 12 feet long and weighs 350 pounds and you're all alone and they come to you and say, hey, I can help you deliver that table. I, I will help you deliver that table. And then the question is, are you able? It, it follows on after the commitment that God has made, this covenant commitment to his people that he has made to redeem for himself a people in Christ Jesus who will no longer be enslaved to sin, who will no longer be um, a, a separated from him without God, without hope in the world, but who will instead inherit a, a new world free from the curse of sin, who will live eternally with God in his presence, who will have the capacity to enjoy him and love him because we've been set free from all the false hopes and the false loves that we have served and chased after before we came to know Christ and his goodness. God intends to declare this before the whole world. His eternal purpose, you read in the passages, the verses that just precede where we're going to look this morning. His eternal purpose is realized in Christ Jesus, that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and the principalities throughout the world through his church. So God is able. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. If he gave you his only son to death, how will he not with him graciously also give you all things? You're seated with him in heavenly places. If you're able to stand, please do so for the reading of, of the passage from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14.
Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. There is, um, there is a fantastic video that's not currently trending in social media, uh, but years ago uh, trended for a moment. It's a video of a, a Subaru uh, pulling a 24-foot uh, travel trailer, and it's pulling the trailer uphill. And what's wonderful about this video is the perspective from which it's shot. Uh, you can tell it is uh, spontaneous. It's a candid video that someone has a video camera running for some other purpose and they hear this sound, this sound of a struggling automobile coming up the hill and, they, and the camera turns and, and then you can see just the road on this English countryside, just the road and you hear the sound and it's getting closer and closer and then crosses the screen, this Subaru pulling this 24-foot trailer, smoke is coming out of this engine. Like You're like, there's no, unless the hill is just right, the top of the hill is just right of the frame, it's not going to work. But he gets across the screen, and then the sound dissipates, dissipates, and you don't hear anything else. The camera stays still, and then you see the trailer towing the car right back down the hill. I mean, it's just fantastic to watch. Now I'm sure it was horrible then. I'm sure there was someone in the car saying to someone else in the car, see I told you this was a bad idea. I don't know what you were thinking. But that that video sticks with me. That image sticks with me because it it is for me the picture of of us trying to live the Christian life apart from God's power. I, that I I I can get a false sense of progress and movement in living the Christian life apart from God's power, it only lasts for a short window. It, it might look for just a couple of frames, it might look like, look at that guy go. And then you see, you see that work in the flesh, work apart from the power of Christ, is weak, utterly weak. And the reason why our, our efforts to live the Christian life, and I'll, I'll unfold that in a minute, but, but the reason why our efforts to live the Christian life fall so short apart from God's power is because we need God's power to change the very thing that controls our actions and how we live. The, the rudder of our lives is our heart. Jesus said that out of the mouth, the words come, but they proceed from the heart. When you think about the rudder that, that steers a ship, there is someone on the bridge pressing a button or spinning a wheel or moving a dial. 
that, that is at the heart of that ship that controls where that ship is going. And, and in this text, Paul is talking about the way in which he prays for God's people and that he's praying for God's people such that something, some power from God would be actively at work to change their hearts. In fact, that their hearts would be filled with the fullness of God, verse 19. Because he knows that when that happens, when that happens, it will be a natural outworking of God's presence in their lives that they do all that you see in chapters 4, 5, and 6 in the book of Ephesians. That they are members of the body, one to another, caring for each other, loving one another, serving one another. That is, husbands and wives, they, they honor and cherish and serve and love and work relationships, etc. That, that, that the whole of what it means to be a reflection of God's glory in Christ Jesus in the world where we live and work and play, all of that comes out of the fact that God has powerfully done this work in our hearts. Now, Paul's not speaking primarily about the initial work of the heart that happens when, when, when the Spirit converts us, when we, when we have our heart of stone taken away and a heart of flesh put in. He's talking about that heart of flesh now being transformed, being filled with the fullness of God. We sang uh, just a little bit ago a psalm that's based on a song that's based on Psalm 51, the second song that we sang together this morning. I have never heard it. It's a wonderful arrangement. I'm thankful to be exposed to it this morning. And Psalm 51, you know, is the song about David's confession. It's a song of David's confession after having been with the wife of one of his most trusted leaders in the army. I mean, he had, held, he had held this man's wife in the way that only her husband should have held her, and then she was pregnant. And when he tried to cover it up, and he couldn't cover it up, he ultimately had him killed. Sent him out to the front lines, had him exposed, left vulnerable, done. And the prophet Nathan came to David and told him a story that made clear to David the depths to which he had fallen. That is the king of God's people who was supposed to be this, the one who directed them and led the people towards faith and rest in God. It committed such an atrocity. But if you look at Psalm 51, Psalm 51, David doesn't, talk a lot about what he's done. He doesn't say in there, I can't believe, I, I can't believe I invited my friend's wife to my house. I, I can't believe I sent him out to be murdered. No, really, in, in the words of Paul David Tripp, he says, my heart, my heart, my heart. That, that's what he says in, in the first part of Psalm 51. My heart is messed up. My heart is messed up. My heart is messed up. He realizes that out, out of his heart have come these things. So then he goes on to say, Lord, create in me what? Clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. Re restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I transform this heart of mine. And so this is what Paul is after. Paul is after this work, this powerful work of God that so changes our heart that our lives then will reflect 
this. And this what? Reflect the love of God. Reflect the love of God that is poured out into our hearts. Our, fa- our actions follow our hearts. We serve what we love. And when our hearts are focused on something else other than the love of the Father in Christ Jesus, when our hearts are motivated by some other response other than the love of the Father through Christ Jesus, when we are motivated by fear, when we are motivated by some sort of self-worship, some kind of doubt, we're like a Subaru pulling a 24-foot travel trailer. We might look good for a second, but we find ourselves quickly in despair. And so Paul says to these believers, he says, I'm, I'm praying on bended knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that, that he would grant you an experiential heart and mind knowledge of God's love. Right? An experiential heart and mind, not just that you know the answer to the test question, but that you know God's love. At the beginning of the book of Judges, you see that the second generation, they did not know what God had done in the promised land. They did not know it, meaning they did not see it. They had not experienced the conquest of the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the they didn't know it. They didn't know it. So it's not like they didn't know the answer to the, que- the question. That, that word in Hebrew means they did not have a lived body experience of it. And this is what Paul wants. He wants us to have this lived body experience, heart and mind knowledge of God's love that results in being filled with the fullness of God, which leads to us being who we're called to be according to his eternal purposes as God's people. So it's a prayer for God's power, and Paul prays to uh, the Trinity. He prays Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. And the language, it, the language bears that out pretty plainly. And he asks first for the Father. He asks the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he would grant strength through power according to the riches of his glory. Now, if, if you have read Ephesians recently, you'll hear echoes of this. If you haven't, just take some time this afternoon and read it. In, in, the, in the first chapter and in the second chapter, and then one spot in the third chapter, you encounter the riches of his glory. He says in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and then uh, 3, verse 7, right? the infinite nature of his power the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. I mean, have you ever, have you ever tried, all right, who broke your dad or your mom's tape measure once? Has anyone ever broken a tape measure? You know how you break it? You try to measure something that's 17 foot long with a 16 foot tape measure. Happens all the time. I hand my tape measure to somebody and they say, oh, let me go measure that. And they come back and there's this long metal thing dragging behind them. And they're like, I'm sorry, it won't, it won't go back in. And, and what Paul is saying is that there's no tape measure. There's no digital meter. There's nothing by which you can define the greatness of God's power. It's limitless. It, is, it can never be 
indicated on a chart. Here's God's power today. Here's God's power yesterday. Here's God. It's, it's infinite. He's got infinite love. Chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And again, the idea in that word there is it's not like he loved us. He loved us a lot. No, it means like he loved us with a love that you can't measure. And we see that in the passage we're in right now. It's a love that cannot be comprehended. Infinite mercy, chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, we see that his infinite grace, chapter 1, verse 2, 7, and then chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, that, that we're more familiar with. His manifold wisdom, chapter 3, verse 10. Here is a God who has infinite power, infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite grace, infinite wisdom. And Paul says, I'm praying that out of those riches, right? So just imagine that you're just, you've got like a giant vat full of black cherry tomatoes. Doesn't that sound good right now? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> you guys more of an apricot crowd? What's going on here? <laughs> And, and whatever you like, maybe dove chocolate bars, is that what we need to do? And, and like, yeah, you know when you go trick-or-treating? Well, hopefully you don't go trick-or-treating. But if your kids go trick-or-treating, there's some marvelous, there's some kind of like, I don't know what to do with this, when the child comes to the door and the person has this huge bowl thing of candy and says, get whatever you want. It's like, people just tend to just, okay, I'll just... Maybe, can I, can, can I just get one? And, and the point is, no, out of the riches of this bowl, just, just scoop it up. In other words, you could never scoop up all that's there. That's the point. Out of God's riches, there's always going to be sufficient for what he intends to do in the lives of his people. He prays to the Father, out of his riches, do this for your people. He prays, he's praying to the Spirit, uh, verse 16, um, or that through the Spirit, uh, the second half of 16, with power, strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. That this power brings us to a posture of hopefulness to gain victory over the sin in our lives that so easily entangles us, that so easily despairs us. Brings us to a posture of, of hopefulness that God intends to do more for us than what we expect. And then he's praying for the Son, for Jesus, verse 17. That, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He's asking for Jesus' presence in our hearts. Through prayer, Paul is, as it were, rallying God, not that God needs to be rallied, for a divine takeover of central command, praying that, that all of God's goodness would invade the center of our lives where it is determined what we do because that's where we have determined what we love. That, 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 that spot that is the, that, that is the throne of our affection. He's saying, but may the, may the, the, the riches of, of the Father's glory through the power of the Spirit by the personal presence of Christ so invade your heart. You see, there's no center outside the reaches of God's answer to this prayer. 
There is no, if God has infinite riches, that means there's no sinner whose heart is too cold. That means that there is, there is no addiction or there is no false worship that is so strong that it cannot be overcome by the power of our God. There is no heart that is so buttressed and fortified by years of pain and doubt and sin and hurt and bitterness and headache and even outright hatred for God that it cannot be invaded by the gracious presence of Jesus who died for sinners and rose again to give them life. I was speaking with some dear friends I have in India uh, just this past week, Pastor uh, Shiresh, and they have teams that they send into the, the forest in southeast India. I tell you the names of the villages, but I'm I'm not good with the pronunciation, and I guarantee you wouldn't you wouldn't know. <laughs> it's not we don't they don't teach this in geography class in fifth grade. The, the they send teams of like five or six, and I mean it's it's crazy. He was just telling me last week somebody got hit by or mauled by a bear, and thankfully some people in a nearby village heard the, the distress and they're able to rescue uh, one of their missionaries. And uh, these are all indigenous uh, missionaries in India. And uh, so, I mean, they've got lions, uh, tigers, um, bears. I'm not trying to quote any movies. I'm just, just, just coming out that way. Um, something else. I was just like, my goodness. You, it really means you've got to be fully at rest in God's, uh, God's care for you, even to just leave the compound to go into the... And they've, they've been going into these... Uh, villages. Now, in that part of India, there's a heavy Muslim influence. And uh, they were going into this one particular village that's about an hour's walk uh, from where they are. And continually, the people there are saying, get away from us. We don't, we don't want to hear about your God. We don't want to hear from your scriptures. Like, leave us alone. And I don't yet know what stirred in them, what motivated them to continue to go back to that village. But just eight short weeks ago, a grandma in the village who thinks she's around like 76 years old, she doesn't know for sure, said, you know what, just come, come on in and just tell me about your, she'd never heard the gospel. She, she'd only heard uh, slanderous modifications of the gospel from her neighbors who Likewise, didn't want to hear anything from these travelers. And her heart was changed in an instant. The, the gospel transformed her. God, from the riches of the Father's mercy, through the Holy Spirit, caused Christ to dwell in this woman's heart. And today, well, I'll just say last Sunday, there were 28 families from that Muslim village coming to hear the gospel because their missionaries are, are going to teach three days a week and then having some kind of service gathering on Sunday. And they don't fit in this grandma's house anymore. They're just spilling out, you know, into the, the yard. I don't really know what you would call it. And I just think, what, what would give you hope as a missionary to keep going back? Apart from knowing that God 
has elect people in that place, believing that he has elect people in that place, and believing that he is able, that there's no one who's been so adamantly opposed to the gospel that he can't in an instant change their heart. And you, you and I, we have people in our own lives. We have our neighbor, we got our boss, maybe one of our children, maybe one of our parents, maybe a brother or sister. And, and the reason that God is able to keep us praying is that, is that as we think and know about God's intended purposes in the world to redeem for himself a people, and we know that this is the, this is the way God is at work. He, you know, the, the revelation, you know, the passage that says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I think a lot of us think like he's standing at the door and he's just like, please answer the door. I mean, he stands at the door, and if he transforms the heart, like, the door is going to fling open. The, the, the reality is there's an inside job that happens by God's grace. He kicks the door open, and he comes in and says, I'm, you're mine. And when he says, you're mine, it's not because he intends to do anything but good to you. He doesn't intend to do anything but give you life. He doesn't intend to do anything but transform you, and that process can be painful, but not without purpose and not without success, transform you into the likeness of his son, Jesus. God is able. And so Paul's, Paul's praying. He's not praying. He doesn't start this transition from chapter 3 into chapter 4 where the practical outworkings of the gospel are explained. He's not just saying, like, I've been praying that you guys would just be good. <laughs> they would just stop arguing with each other. I'm not, he's not praying that you would, that you would just, they would just start serving your neighborhood, that you'd care more about justice in the world. He's not, he's praying that God's power would transform the heart. That's the prayer. And he knows that God can do it out of the riches of his mercy. And he knows that will lead to an experiential heart and mind knowledge of God's love. See in verse 18, that, that we would be able to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, this is so important, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, that you might know, in short, God's heart for you. Finish this verse. We love because he loved us first. And, and the same is that that, that axiom that, that is eternally true um, happens among God's people as well. How do, you, how do you know God's love except that you experience it through his people? This is like, like the, the beatitudes the, 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 or the fruit of the Spirit that we see explained for us in Galatians chapter 5, right? You can't do those things by yourself. I mean, you can't. In order for me to be patient, I need someone to cut me off in traffic. I need another person to play a part, right? In order for me to be gentle, I need someone to be like a porcupine in my life. In order, right? In order for me to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you can't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit Apart from the, the, the friction and the presence and the help of people that are around us. 
And, and in community, we demonstrate this love of God. In community, we demonstrate this fruit of the presence of Christ dwelling fully and richly in our hearts. I was, um, we were uh, wanting to be foster parents. Well, we were foster parents in Missouri uh, back in like 05, 06. We were hoping to adopt. And uh, we were, we thought, you know what, we'll just try to adopt um, a boy who's like age seven to 10. If you've been, if you're in the foster care system, you know that, that usually when young boys get to that age and a little bit older, like they're last on the list. And I mean, cause the, it, it brings with it the most challenges. And the reason it brings with it the most challenges is that for so many of them, they don't know, they don't know love that they haven't been able to even if they've, they've experienced it, they haven't been able to perceive it. They haven't been transformed by it. That those who, those who are what the state would call difficult cases, we don't refer to image bearers that way, but, and, and we waited and, and, you know, in God's providence, we, we were never selected. So, um, we were glad that all these young boys were, were finding homes, forever homes, uh, in the in the city, but one of the things that was discussed with us in our training, and I didn't I didn't know this about the gospel yet. I didn't know this about the way God works in the world through grace yet. Was that you know as they as these foster children are invited into their family, you know the early months, even years, right? They're just pushing back. They're just pushing back, and and they're testing, right? And and they're testing to see are you really for them. They're testing to see, do you really love them? They're testing to see, do you really want them? Once they become sure of that, once they become sure that you are for them, that you do love them, that you do want them, they become convinced that those loving parents intend their good. And they actually begin to want what their parents want. They begin to delight in what their parents love. And part of that process, if there's other siblings in the household, right, is, is, is seeing this at work, is, is seeing how, how a parent loves the other children and how they respond to that love and experiencing love from the other children in that house and, and learning how to respond to it. And Paul is saying to those of us who've been adopted into the Father's Forever family that, that we can know God's love experientially to the point where we, we discover, like, it's safe here. It, it's so safe, you don't even have to be afraid of yourself anymore. Because you know you're a Subaru. You know that that's who you are apart from God's grace. And you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid of your past. You don't have to be afraid of your weakness. Why? Because God's power is made known through weakness. And how, how do we ex gain this experiential knowledge? In community. In God's word. Bringing ourselves face to face with the Lord. I know for some of you, the scripture just, it just seems like, like the, the thing I got to do. And as a pastor, I was horrible at reading the scriptures of my family for years, like, because you're, 
Actually, it's not as a pastor. Let me say that differently. As a pastor who didn't know how to do ministry right, <laughs> who didn't know how to be present for his wife and children a lot of times at night during the week. I, like, I started family devotions like 60 times a year. You know? That, that, means I, that means I fell off the wagon, right? 59 times out of the year. And it was just... It was this, I had this sense of like, oh, I just need to do this because I know, I know it'll be beneficial to them and I know that's what they need. One time I, I went into my son's room. Noah, he's our youngest son. He's 18 now. And he was about five at the time. And he was just getting into woodworking. He just liked coming out in the garage and you using some sandpaper, and he would watch the old Norm Abram uh, videos, the New Yankee Workshop, if you ever saw those on PBS. And he would pretend like he was planing boards. He would send them through the double-sided bookcase that we had. He would just stand there and go, and then walk around the other side. No sound while you walk around. And then you get to the other side, and you go, you pull it out, and you pretend the board's been transformed. And he, would, he was coming out to the garage, and he said, hey, I want to make a picture for him. And um, I said, okay, cool. I said, I have an idea. Let's just do like a flat piece of wood and then you can spray paint it, all these psychedelic patterns, whatever you want to do to this thing. And then we'll get some, this was when this was just becoming popular, we'll get some, some offset screws and we'll put some plexiglass or some glass over the top of that and screw those into the wood and you'll have this framed picture. Um, and yeah, I didn't know what he wanted to do with it. And so we finished making it. He um, he came he came out to the garage. He grabbed it. He went upstairs, and I didn't hear anything about it for you know a couple of days. And then I went in to, to go tuck him into sleep at night, and he had a picture of me in it, in this thing. Just sorry, he had a picture of me, and he was like sleeping with his hand on it. And I looked up at our daughter, Hannah. She, she made one because well, she's not really into woodworking, but she didn't know whatever her brother was doing a couple years older. And she had a picture of her mom. And that picture was just, it was right next to her. Hmm. Sorry about that. And uh, I asked him the next day, I said, how come, how come you sleep with the picture? How come you don't put it on the wall? He said, it just helps me remember that you love me. And Jesus, Jesus intends to be present through the means of grace that he's given, that this prayer might be answered in our lives, that, that we might have this face-to-face -face encounter with him in his word, in prayer, among his people, that we might, that we might know of his love because we forget it. And no, he took that picture to bed like every night for like two years, he slept with it right next to his pillow. And um, that, that arrested me because, you know, I began to think like, this is, this is what the father, this is the sort of intimacy that the father intends to have with me. This is the sort of intimacy that the father intends to have with you. He intends to be so near to you that, that, that the one who is the image of God, Jesus Christ, that he would, 
You wouldn't just be like on your pillow next to you, but he would dwell richly in your heart. That you would just be fully consumed with his presence. And, and if you are fully consumed with his presence, Paul knows that you will, you will begin to have the strength to comprehend the magnitude of the love that he has for you. So God is able. He's able to keep us praying because he's given us promises. Because he's told us already what his purposes are. And because he's going to give us power to see these things accomplished and fulfilled in our lives. Therefore, you and I, we pray not as those in the wilderness and isolation hoping that God will hear us, but we pray seated with Christ in heavenly places. We pray as just the verses right before, those who know we have bold access and confidence through faith in Jesus. Your God is able. Some of you today, maybe all you needed to hear was that God is able and that he wants to. Wherever you are and whatever you've got going on, turn to him. Rest in him. Abide in him. Pray this prayer that he would so operate in your life in this way and pray this prayer for one another. I mean, it's important. It's important that you see each other and say, hey, I prayed for, I prayed for your knee. Man, I'm, I'll, I'm so thankful when someone says, I prayed that you can lose more weight. I mean, because I've asked them to. <laughs> Not because they're... Um, I've prayed for you that your, your truck will keep running. I've prayed for you that out of the riches of the mercy of the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through faith, Jesus Christ would richly dwell in your hearts. Pray that for one another. Tell one another, this is how I'm praying for you. So that you might experience the care and the cycle of the way in which God works to use this, this prayer and this power of that work, which leads to more transformation, which leads to more witness and more experiential knowledge and more prayer. And you see what God does there.